One man, one microphone, and a lifetime of weird ass stories. Here he comes, Mapulos. Hello, folks, and welcome back to another Unbridled Enthusiasm podcast. I'm your host, Mark Pulos. Uh, for this episode, I thought I'd uh, go into some <clears throat> fun and interesting stories from my uh, trips to Canada from uh, 2003 to about 2007. Uh, I got to go to Canada every year and uh, tour up there for about a month every time. Uh, I got involved with uh, doing these tours through a couple comic friends that uh, brought me up there with them, and it was uh, a really fun time. It was such an interesting thing because what the company would do up there is they would bring a bunch of American comics up and uh, we'd tour all over the western part of Canada. And when we weren't working on the road, they would set us up with rooms at the Blackfoot Inn in Calgary where their main offices were. So at any given week, there would be hundreds of comedians just uh, going in and out of this hotel. And uh, a lot of times they would put you with another comedian and you guys would share a room together. And I met so many amazing, funny comedians up there. A lot of them that uh, are actually famous right now. Uh, I think the most famous uh, is uh, John Doerr and Rory Scoville, who, you know, just hanging out with them for like a month, you could just tell that they were just on a completely different level than every other comedian. I mean, for God's sakes, the... The first time I met Rory, he had been doing comedy for like two and a half, three years. And uh, he wrote and directed and filmed and edited a web series while he was in Canada for a month. And uh, it's still on YouTube. If uh, you get bored and you want to check it out, it's very funny. Uh, I would suggest episode four, part one, because uh, that's when I make my appearance. So the basic idea of the show was that uh, so they would pair us up into these rooms and, uh, you know, we'd make these new friendships. And then after a couple days, we'd have to both go our separate ways. So the basic idea of the show is that Rory and this other hilarious comic from Canada named Casey Corbin were staying in a room together. And then Casey had to go off and do some shows. So they thought it would be funny to make it seem like. Uh, Rory was really upset that Corey was moving, Casey was moving out. So, you know, there's all these other storylines where Casey gets a, a television show where he's the stoner food critic and basically just gets high and eats fast food, which is hilarious. But then Rory gets jealous that he's got this new friend that looks a lot like Rory. So Rory goes out and gets a new friend that looks a lot like Casey, which ends up being me. And then he tries to become a rapper. And uh, the guy that's teaching him how to rap, he's actually on uh, Hell on Wheels now on uh, AMC. So pretty amazing company to hold up there. But uh, uh, with 
all the amazing comedians that I met up there. I also met some uh, some yahoos. I think the uh, the craziest person I ever met in Canada. His name was uh, Stephen Pearl, and he uh, old school comedian from California. And uh, truthfully, like. The first couple times I saw him do comedy, I had only been doing comedy for like three years, and just to see him like perform, even at my lower level of comedy, thinking to myself like this guy is horrible and completely insane. I mean, I remember the f- we did uh, like a couple gigs in Alberta, and we went to. Uh, like a small town outside of Calgary. And uh, so I, I dropped him off at the hotel, and uh, I went to my room, and then I went to get him for the show. And uh, all I remember was opening up the door, and he had taken the ice bucket, and he f- and he filled it with ice, and then he filled it with water. And he didn't even put, like, the plastic protective, like, trash liner in it. He just put ice and water in this ice bucket and he was just like dunking a glass into it and just like chugging water i'd come up come to find out later on that uh he smoked a shit ton of weed so probably had a good amount of cotton mouth so he did that first gig and uh he just did horrible his act was like all over the freaking place i will give him credit he still has one of the funniest jokes that like a quick one-liner that would get me every time as much as i thought he was kind of a hack and and not the best comedian every time he did this joke it got me and it's such a silly joke it's just out of nowhere he would go roman soldiers count off i i i i i i i v and i don't know why it just just freaking killed me every time so we uh for the weekend, we had to go to uh, Kelowna, British Columbia, which was on the other side of the Canadian Rockies. And if you're not aware, like uh, the Rocky Mountain mountain range starts like in northern Canada, and that's where it's the most mountainous. And like as it goes down through the states into like Arizona and stuff, the you know, geographical mountainness of it gets less and less by scale. So, like, the highest and and dangerous mountains are up in Canada. So the only way to get to British Columbia from Calgary is you have to go through uh, Golden, British Columbia, and uh, I think it's Revelstoke, and it's a, a really high mountain pass. Uh, I think there's actually a TV show on right now where it's all about the guys that have to go up there and keep that mountain pass clean or something. So I was, uh, it was only about maybe a four or five hour drive from Calgary to Kelowna, and that's on a clear day. Um, so I had an alarm set for like eight in the morning, get some breakfast and stuff, and hit the road, but I got a call in my room at 5 a.m. and it was the booker and they were like I think you guys should should go right now and we're and I was like what are you talking about and I opened up the windows and it was like a whiteout and I was like 
oh my god so she's like yeah you guys better just get in the car and start going and i was like in my head i was like maybe we should just not go you know but i had to go you know it's comedy you got to get there if you don't make it to the gig you don't get the check so um packed him up in the car and we just started going and uh thinking to myself like we had only done that one gig like outside the city but thinking to myself like if if things get hairy and it's taken us forever to get there like we can probably like switch off driving and we get like i don't know maybe like an hour outside the city and it's just like horrible roads and uh he made some kind of comment like uh he's like well you know I'm glad I gave up my driver's license. And I was like, oh, shit. So this guy doesn't even have a driver's license. So we start heading up to the mountain pass, and uh, it's just ridiculous. And, like, those Canadian rocky mountain passes, you know, like in in the States, there's, like, you know, a guardrail. In Canada, they don't have a guardrail. It's a two-lane road that goes up the mountain, and you have, like, trucks coming down at you, and you're going up the hill, and it's like there's no uh, guardrail and stuff, so if you start going up the hill and, like, lose traction on your tires, you're just going to, like, slide backwards or right off the mountain. It was probably the most frightening drive I've ever done. But we start going up the first part of the hill, and he looks over the side and sees that there's no railing, and he just, like, clicked the seat back on his side, and he goes, I'm going to take a nap wake me up if we die and i was like oh thanks a lot asshole so we uh we headed up the mountain and ended up making it to the other side and uh but it was funny because on the way back you know the weather up there it kind of changes on a dime so like on the on the ride back it was actually really nice and clear um but he had to get back for like a flight or something so we had to leave like really early in the morning and i of course you know being single in my first time in canada i was like partying with everybody everywhere we went and just having a blast and uh so he was he couldn't drive so i had like two hours of sleep and we got like halfway back to the city and I actually fell asleep while we were driving and he had to wake me up and i was like I go, I'm so sorry, I hate to ask this, I know you don't have a driver's license, but I'm like, is there any way that you could just drive for like an hour so I could just get a nap? I go, I didn't sleep at all last night, and and he was like, yeah, yeah, I, I guess I can do that, okay. So when I switched the car over to him, it's like a clear, sunny day, like beautiful day. So I like get myself situated in the passenger seat and just nod off. So when I wake up, <clears throat> it is like snowing like a motherfucker outside. And I glance over, and he's like leaning up on the steering wheel, and he's got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and he's just going, <laughs> apparently having a nervous breakdown. So I just slowly went, Steve why don't we pull over and uh i'll i'll take over driving and uh and he was like yeah that's probably a good idea because i'm losing my fucking mind right now so i took over got us back in the city and and 
and got him back on the airplane. But uh, he was a weird dude, man. Like he had to, uh, he was obsessed with watching uh, David Letterman every night. So I'd have to get him back to uh, back to his hotel room in time for David Letterman. And uh, when I would tell the stories of like going over the mountain with him and stuff to other comedians, and I started to find out that he actually was like like a really old school comic. Like he had started in the seventies, and and like everybody kind of knew who he was in Los Angeles, and he was like one of those new up-and-coming guys that everybody, you know, should watch out for and stuff. And, you know, he just got caught in the cycle of, of not writing new material, which I think is a big problem for some guys, especially that started in the 80s, uh, because they wrote this 45 minutes that everywhere they went, everybody thought it was amazing, and they kind of just, like, creatively stopped developing you know because they were just like why do i need to write new material i've got this act that i can go anywhere with and and you know it it gets old pretty fast especially nowadays with how fast pop culture and technology moves you know you just gotta you gotta keep writing but uh when i would tour up in canada one of the my favorite things would be getting to do the the comedy club at the blackfoot inn because one of the times, uh, like one of the weeks that you would work there, you would actually get to work the comedy club in the Blackfoot Inn, which was amazing because, you know, you're already staying there on your days off, and it was their flagship club. Place was always sold out, even on like Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Sundays, and uh, you would just sell an insane amount of T-shirts and CDs after the show. It was just like one of those places. And I remember I had a couple interesting stories when I worked there. Um, one time, I was uh, I was selling two different shirts on stage, and uh, so I, I pitched the shir- the shirts on stage. And as you would come off stage, there was like a little runway there, and people would be sitting on the runway with like tables and stuff. And I walked past one of the tables, and the guy goes, uh, he goes, I want I want both those shirts right now. And I go well, what, what sizes do you want? And he goes, no, I want those two shirts that you just showed on stage. And I go, but, you know, I don't think they're your sizes. He goes, I don't care. I'm not going to wear them. They're souvenirs. These are the shirts that you showed on stage. And I was like, oh, all right. So I, I sold him the shirts. And after the show, I, you know, met people and sold shirts and stuff. And then this guy and his wife are like, you know, you're hilarious. We want to drink with you. You come with us to the, and there was like a bar, uh, through the double doors of the comedy club on the other side it was like a sports bar where you would hang out sometimes during the day and you know eat lunch and stuff so they were like come with us to the bar and and i had a late show that i had to do so i went with them over there for a bit and uh they were buying me drinks they bought me like a 100 bucks and drinks and stuff and we were just joking and whatever and and uh me just trying to be nice you know it got time for me to do the late show and I was like you know you guys are really cool I was like do you want to come see the late show on me like I could get you free tickets you know and I go it's probably going to be the same jokes and they were like no no man we'd love to see it again we thought you were amazing so I was like okay so uh the other funny part is I signed uh both the shirts for him 
specifically to them, like, you know, whatever their names were, Bob and Sally, like, said, have an amazing night, thanks for the support, or whatever, and I signed them. So we go back into the room for the late show, and uh, so I go up and I do my set, and uh, I get done, and uh, I, I walk past their table, and they're like, oh my god, you were so funny, it was so great, and they're so loud, I was like, no, no, you, gotta, you can't talk, you gotta be quiet, and they're like, you sit down here and you talk to us, and I was like, no, no, we can't do that, like, oh, I, and then I realized right then, like, the horrible mistake I made, like, these people were wasted, they had no interest in the headliner, like, they just, for whatever reason, thought that I was the cat's meow, and they wanted to chat with me, and, and obviously, I knew that couldn't happen, because I would get in trouble with the management, so I just went by, I went by the manager, and I said, hey, uh, I go, these two people love me, but they're probably not going to be quiet, so, uh, I'm just going to kind of sneak out to my hotel room, and I'll come back like towards the end of the show to sell my merchandise. And I was like, uh, you know, just tell them that I had to leave for whatever reason, if they ask about me or whatever. So I left and I went back to my room and I came back around the end of the show. And the manager was like, man, those two people were pissed. And I was like, what are you talking about? And Apparently they were like, where did that guy go? And, and he told them like, he had to leave and, you know, he, he sent his apologies or whatever. And apparently the guy was like, oh, fuck that guy. And like threw my shirts against the wall and was like, tell him he can take these shirts and shove them up his ass. And then they left. And I was like, oh, great. But then I was like, hey, they gave me my shirts back. So that show, uh, I was selling merchandise and stuff, and I had a couple people that came up, and, and they wanted shirts, and they made some kind of comment, like, you know, they asked how, many, how much the shirts were, and I told them, and they were like, oh, you know, I don't have that much money or whatever. So I was like, I go, well, I got this shirt here. Uh, I actually signed it to somebody else, but I was like, if you want it, I'll give it to you half price. So I ended up selling the two shirts that I sold to the other people again with my signature on it to other people. So consider that probably the best uh, best sales pitch I ever did. But uh, I think on the next trip was when I was crazy. I was uh, like as the show was going on or between shows and stuff, the comics would kind of sit in the back of the room in a, in a specific like little area. And one of the times, uh, this guy came in, and he said that he had reservations or something, and he showed up really late, so they had given away his reservations. So the door lady was, like, trying to accommodate him, like, you know, here's the best the best that we can do, you know, you know you're know, you a half an hour late, and I guess it was his wife's birthday or something. So uh, I wasn't really ca- like catching on to what was going on. I just knew there was like a little argument going on. So she starts walking away, and all I hear is some guy go, uh, fuck you. And I hear this whizzing sound, and I look up, and he had taken like one of those big tumbler glasses that they mix tall drinks in and threw it at the manager's head. 
still to this day, I, I just, I don't get people like, I mean, the, uh, the split second decision to throw a giant glass at someone's head. I mean, what if it hit her in the head and she died? You're going to prison for the rest of your life just being a, a pissy idiot, but so I hear this whizzing sound and I look up and the glass is coming right at us, three comedians sitting in the back of the room. And I was like, oh my God, dude. So I shoved the one comic to the right and I dove to the other way and it hit the wall behind us and just like exploded and like showered glass down all over like where we were and nobody was really hurt it was just more of like a spectacle and uh when we both kind of got up and dusted ourselves off I looked and there was just like the tiniest little like prick on my hand and uh it was bleeding just like a dot of blood and everybody was freaking out like you know, do you want to fill out a police report and all this kind of stuff? And I was like, oh, no. It just amazed me, man, like, how quick people make decisions, you know? I think they, uh, it's, it's like uh, in the justice system, they call it like a one-punch murder or something like that, where, you know, if you're in a fight with somebody and you punch them once, you know, they fall down and hit their head or or like you hit them in that specific spot where like their temple or whatever I mean, you could go to jail for the rest of your life just punching somebody once and this guy threw a giant glass at a lady's head just uh blows my mind i toured another time with this guy um and uh he had kind of a reputation for being kind of a dick and having a short fuse and trying to uh, like goad people into fights and, and being a bully and all this stuff. So when I got booked with him, a lot of people were like, you know, uh, you know, just be careful because this guy is, you know, like a liar and, uh, He'll pretend to like you, and then uh, and then he'll backstab you, and he'll do all this crazy shit. So I was like, oh, God, man, I don't even want to go on tour with this guy. So I picked him up at the airport, and, like, we hit it off immediately. Like, two peas in a pod. Like, he liked heavy metal music, and I liked heavy metal music, and he had, like, great stories from the road, and I had great stories from the road, and we just, whatever reason, we clicked. So the whole two weeks that we were on the road together, it was like two peas in a pod. And I got back and like all these people were like, oh my God, how did it go? I mean, was it really horrible or whatever? And I was like, no, this guy's like the most pleasant guy I've ever met in my entire life. Like, I don't, uh, I don't know what you guys are talking about, you know? And I don't know if you've ever had one of these instances where it's like, you see somebody like all day, every day, and you just assume that like, that's how they are. And then it turns out like you realize that there's a that they're just kind of putting on not really like a lie or whatever, but there's like another part of their life that you're just not privy to and you just haven't seen yet because you haven't spent enough time with them. You know, you spend 
enough time with somebody, you kind of get a sense of all their sides of their personality. But I mean, we only spent like two weeks together and, you know, very short bursts of time in the car and, and at meals and stuff. So, um, I dropped him off at the hotel and I went to my room to unpack and stuff. And I came down to the sports bar and I walk in and he is choking a man at the bar. And it was just such a jarring thing. I was like, what the hell's going on here? So apparently he went down to the bar to like get a drink or something. And a guy was being really inappropriate with one of the waitresses and she kept asking him to leave. And then he smacked her on the ass and he just grabbed this guy by the throat and he was like, you know, it's time to leave or whatever. So I walk in and I actually still feel bad about this because I walked in and I was like, Hey, what the hell's going on here? And he looked to see me and this guy kind of wriggled out of his arm and bit him on the hand like really hard. So, uh, he like grabbed this guy, wrangled him to the ground, wrenched his arm and, and ended up holding him down till the police got there. And, uh, so the, uh, the hotel didn't even reimburse him for his medical bills or any of his pain and suffering because they were saying that like, he didn't have to choke this guy. Like he should have just called security and let him handle it. And I guess, you know, I understand that idea of it, but it's just like, this guy was, protecting one of your employees you'd think you'd like pay for his medical bills or whatever but it was just so weird to like hang out with this guy and he's like the most level-headed you know cool guy and and uh and then just to see him snap and I guess the very next week he was in Vancouver working and some guy was heckling him and and he was like you know if you think you're a man why don't you come up on stage and show me you're a man so the guy just like started trying to climb onto the stage and apparently he just soccer kicked him straight in the face. So, uh, I guess, you know, obviously have little problem with anger and whatnot, but, uh, there was another funny story where I traveled with a a different comic from Vancouver and he was kind of one of these guys that was, uh, like a ball buster, you know, and he would kind of, push you to see how far he could push you until you push back and the first gig that we did together he uh he came in and I was sitting in the living room and he was like oh hi opener and he shook my hand and he goes do me a favor and go get my suitcases out of my car opener and I just sat there and I was like I'm not getting your fucking suitcases out of your car and then he just started laughing he goes all right we're gonna be good friends and I was like who the fuck is this guy but we had a gig one time, and uh, he had told me the night before, he's like, I'm going to sleep in, and uh, so we're not going to leave until noon tomorrow. So I was like, oh, okay, no problem. So then he called me at like 9 in the morning, and I'm obviously still sleeping, and he calls me at 9 in the morning, and he goes, I want to leave right now. And I was like, oh, okay. I go, that's fine, just give me like you know, a half an hour just so I can shower and pack. I'm like, I'm still laying in bed. And he's like, 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, all right, I guess 20 minutes. So I showered and got my shit together and I did it pretty quick. And I came down to the lobby and he was gone. And, uh, I went to the front desk lady. I was like, did you see a guy in a, in a black Volkswagen or whatever? And she goes, yeah, he went to go get a coffee. He told me to tell you that he left you here 
and that you would need to get a bus ticket back to Calgary, but she's like, I'm not that big of an asshole. So, so, uh, I just went outside and he pulled back up and, uh, I just started putting my stuff in his car and he had this look on his face like, huh? Huh? And I was like, what's going on? And he goes, didn't she tell you? And I go, tell me what? And he goes, oh, that bitch. She was supposed to tell you that I left and you were going to have to take a bus back to Calgary. And I was like, no, no, she didn't say anything. So, and he was like, oh, that sucks. But, uh, what's funny is that same guy was, uh, he was, when I went to Vancouver a couple years later, he was working as the manager at the comedy club because he wanted to stay around home. And uh, I was opening up for this uh, other guy who apparently had ripped a bunch of tendons in his knee, so he was on some uh, pain meds. So he was kind of having a tough time, but I still thought he was hilarious, but obviously he had a little slur in his words, and he made some kind of comment on stage like, you know, this is the last time I do a comedy show on painkillers. And some lady got really offended, like she was... She got up and started complaining to her waitress and stuff. And I just remember I was out in the entryway talking to him, and they brought her out, and they were like, uh, they go, this this is the guy you need to talk to. So I kind of stepped back, and they started talking, and she was like, I just want to say that I want my money back because I didn't pay money to see some comic on painkillers trying to do jokes. This is horrendous that you would actually allow an entertainer to go on stage on drugs. And it just, uh, it made me laugh because, uh, <laughs> because pretty much every comic that's on stage is, is usually on something, whether it's medication or, or weed or booze or whatever. But, uh, he was like, I appreciate your comments, but he goes, I feel like, uh, he's doing a great job and, and he's still being really funny. And, uh, so I, I've, I've taken your, your complaint and, and I'll make a note of it. But, uh, he goes, that's the best I can do. And she was just like, I'm so horrified. She goes, I'm going to call on Monday and I'm going to complain about him and I'm going to complain about you and I'm going to complain about everything. And he goes, that's great. Here's the phone number. When you call, you're going to get me and I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know why it just made me laugh so hard. There was another time when I was up in Canada and I was up there for a month as I would normally do. But this time it was strange because most of the times that I would go up there, like every week I'd be working with somebody different, but this tour, uh, every show that I was doing, I was working with the same guy named Stan. I found it odd, but I was just like, well, maybe he's up at the exact same time I am and our schedules work together and whatever. But I come to find out that, uh, uh, he had just gotten out of the hospital from doing rehab because apparently like six months before, he lived in uh, Hamilton, which was like a, a suburb of Toronto, and he was like walking to the like the little sport, you know, like grocery mart on the corner just to get some cigarettes or something. And on his way home, some guy uh, mugged him with a knife, and uh, for whatever reason, this guy like slit his throat from ear to ear after he gave him his money. 
and uh, it just so happened that he uh, that he got his throat cut on the lawn of a vascular surgeon. I mean, talk about luck. So this vascular surgeon came out and literally put his hands into his neck and like clamped down on his carotid artery on both sides until the ambulance showed up and it basically saved his life. So when he went back out on the road, they wanted him to feel safe. So they put him with me, you know, because I'm a big guy, not knowing that I'm a complete pussy and I wouldn't do anything to protect him. But I guess just the size of this guy to make him feel safe. But we actually became really good friends. And, and uh, he's the one that turned me on to the Tragically Hip, a very good band from Canada. So the, uh, the last story I've got from your, uh, f- for you from Canada was uh, uh, w- one of the funniest. So right around the time that I, uh, that I built a website and I purchased the domain Large Drunk Man, uh, I got booked on a show up there and it was like one of my first tours as a headliner in Canada. So they, uh, I was going to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan and they were, uh, promoting the show by saying the large drunk man is coming because that was my, my website or whatever. So I got there and they had a bunch of like big posters and stuff and it all said large drunk man and all this stuff and I found I felt kind of you know I was like honored like oh man that's pretty cool so I got on stage and I wasn't more than like three or four jokes in and a waitress comes over and she has just a tray full of shots there was probably like 15 shots on there and I was like what the hell is this and he goes and she said well this is from various people in the audience for the large drunk man People in Canada love to drink, man. Their beer is like twice as strong as ours, and you know they love uh, the Windsor and just everything, man. So I'm looking at this tray of shots, and it's like a conglomerate of like every shot you could imagine. There was like tequila and whiskey, and three wise men, and prairie fires, and blowjob shots, and Jaeger bombs, and just like everything. And I was just like, oh god. So. Uh, at the time, I was still doing the funny songs and guitar, so I start doing the shots. I did, like, a bad one, then a good one, and then a bad one, and a good one. And I got through, like, four of them, and I was like, okay, I'm going to st- I'm gonna stop for a little bit and do some comedy. And they just lost their mind. Like, they had no interest in hearing me do any jokes. They just wanted to watch me drink. It was the weirdest thing I've ever <laughs> been a part of. So I was like, okay, I guess this is this is what the show's going to be. It's just me doing me yelling at you for sending me all these shots and me just doing a shot after that. So I got done with all the shots and it took me probably like 15 or 20 minutes to get done with all the shots and I was like, all right, I'm going to play the guitar now before I can't. So all I remember was picking up my guitar and I started playing a song when like all of the drinks hit me in the face and uh i was just like playing the guitar and i just stopped playing and i was like i don't don't even know what song this is i don't don't even know where i am and then apparently i just started screaming at the audience for making me drunk and uh then i woke up in my hotel room with no shoes on so i have no idea like i later on i found out like 
that I actually just uh, sat down on stage and just yelled at the audience for another 25 minutes and uh, just out of nowhere was just like, I'm done. And I was so drunk, I didn't even like pitch or sell my my merchandise after the show. And uh, I went to take a step off stage, and I like apparently fell over a table. And they helped me up to the bar, and I just kind of sat there. And and everybody was coming up and telling me how great of a show it was and everything. And I was just like, these people are out of their minds, man. But uh, Canada will always have a special place in my heart, man. I did so many tours up there, and I met so many amazing people and had so many amazing experiences and got to see, you know, the northern lights and, and the, the high parts of Canada and the Canadian Rockies and the, and the valleys of Colonia and, and uh, the nothingness of Saskatchewan. It was just... Uh, so much fun and so amazing if if you ever get the chance i would go out to uh british columbia or alberta and uh just take a road trip and and see the sights man it's just absolutely beautiful country up there and and stuff so hope you guys enjoyed this uh latest podcast uh as i said i'm on itunes now so subscribe to the unbridled enthusiasm podcast and uh largedrunkman.com all the information and uh mark pulos comedian on facebook soundcloud and google mark pulos and you'll find everything you need to know about me and my weird head but uh thank you again for listening i hope you enjoy this podcast and all my podcasts i feel uh, blessed uh that there's anybody listening to this so uh tune in next time when we talk about who knows <laughs>